Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us. We are talking about the book of Titus. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Titus chapter 3. And as we're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of a picture of where we're going today. You may have heard, as you read the word, that God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good, right? Uh, and so one of the greatest things that God has given us is the gospel, and it's good news, right? It's good news that the work is not up to us. The work has already been done by the person in the work of Jesus Christ who loved us and came to this world and lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and rose again on the third day. That is the hinge of our faith. It's not in what we're doing, it's what God has done. It is not up to us. It was done by Christ. And so the a follower of Jesus understands that we can't work our way in, but God has worked for us and God has restored us. That's why it's good news. It's good news. But in, in addition to the good news of what Christ has done for us, we also have been given something that we very easily miss. We've been given the goodness of God in our lives. We are people who have the goodness of God. We have the character of God in our lives, and he shares us his love. He shares with us his goodness. He shares with us his righteousness. All of these things are good, and we as stewards of God's grace are to live out and bring the goodness of God on earth. This broken, fallen, dark, depraved earth, God has called us to let our light so shine so that others might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Paul is writing to Titus. Titus is on the island of Crete. There are different churches that were planted on this and this little island, and, and Paul was writing Titus to not only establish the church, but also to establish the home and then establish all of society, bringing in the goodness of God. And this shows us that it's not just that we're to be focused on what happens here in this room. We're, we're called to focus out there in the world and out there in our homes. And then we're called to actually live this to people who don't even believe it. What we bring in, we show them a picture of the goodness of God. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And if you have your Bibles, look, at, look with me in Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Paul writes and says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedience, let, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But... But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. He saved us not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to do good works. These things are excellent. And they're profitable for, for people. 
But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up dissension after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, I know that this ends on kind of a downer. (laughs) It's a corrective passage at the end. But I want us to just take a look at why. Why do we bring in the goodness of God? And the answer is because we're his kids. We're children of God. That's our number one calling in life. It's before you're even a husband or a father or a wife and a mother, before you're a student or you're an executive or a doctor or a nurse or teacher, whatever your role is in this world, that's not your first calling. As a follower of Jesus, our first calling is to be children of God and children of a good God who our Father wants to reflect his goodness through us his kids. And so there's a few things we need to talk about when it comes to good works, because if we're not careful, we'll view good works in a a different light than they should. Number one, we need to realize that good works cannot save us. Good works cannot save me. There's this thought in our world that if we are just good enough, God will say, that's enough, and you can come in. If our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds at our death, then God will say, come into heaven, and, and if not, then go to hell. You know? but, and we can live like that, and many religious systems live like that. It's what you're doing to work your way to God. But look what Paul says in, in Titus 3, verse 5. He says, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. In other words, God knows everything about us and chooses to love us anyway. He sees all of our sin, all of our independence, all of our desire to live life on our own terms and not have anyone tell us what to do. And he chose to love us anyway and chose to give us mercy, chose to send Jesus before we turned and trusted in him because he loves us. Good works cannot save us. Only Jesus can save us. And so why? Why, did, why were we you know, saved then? What was one of the reasons for us being saved? Well, we've been saved for good works. It's not we're saved by good works. We're saved for good works. In other words, what God wants to do, what a good God wants to do is he wants to set our lives, our broken, messed up lives. He wants to set us on a path so that he can do good things through us. He can work through us. It's not us working. It's God working in and through us. And he does that by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who regenerated us, gave us new life, and renews us daily is the one who now lives in us and works through us. God wants to do a good work with every one of us. We've been saved for it. We're on a new path where God is now working to the good of all who love him and are called according to his purpose. All of us have that purpose to, 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 be, to live reflecting a good God. Secondly, good works do not keep me. We don't, good works don't keep us in. And there's this thought that as long as you behave, God will be your father and he will love you. But if you don't, look out. God's up in heaven. He's just like Santa Claus. He's keeping a list of who's been naughty or nice. And he gives coal to the people who are really bad. And he gives just really good things, sunshine and unicorns to really good people. And there's this thought that as long as I'm good, God will be good to me. But that's not life. That's not life. 
there's, there's some who are very evil people who are some of the wealthy, influential, affluential people in our world. And they, aren't, they don't believe in God. And they're living life however they want with whoever they want. And, and they're getting more than I'm getting right now. God does not owe us anything. I used to think that I had to keep asking Jesus into my heart. I grew up in the church, and so some of my earliest memories, like when I was three, I still remember that windmill cookie they used to give us when we were three. That's all I remembered about Jesus, when, is that he gives good cookies, okay? <laughs> but I remember I, when I would mess up as a kid, and pretty much through every age of child and adolescent development, where I would mess up, I'd go, wow, God, how could you love me? I must not be your child. Jesus, come back into my heart. I accepted Jesus into my heart about a hundred times. Thinking that each time was gonna, I was going to do better. But good works don't keep us. Paul writes, he says, Those who believed in God, let them be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent. And they're profitable for all people. So it shows us one of the purposes we've been saved. It's that good works do not keep us in. It's God's grace that keeps us in. The same grace that saves us keeps us because we're God's children. He'll never let us go. Now, just think about it. If you have a child, you love that child, and you have multiple children. You love all those children, right? You don't want to have that favored son or daughter. You may be enjoying one more than the other, but you love them all. You absolutely love them all. Your heavenly Father loves far better than you and I parent. And so we're called, as God's children, to live with the confidence that it's not in my works that keeps me in, it's in the completed work of Christ. And so good works ultimately just reflect the goodness of God. God says, you're in a good family now. You have a good father. Shine my goodness in this world. How will the world know that I'm good if you're being a jerk? (laughs) How will the world know I'm good if you're living in sin, if you're living in darkness? And so let, the, let your light so shine so that others might see your good works and then glorify your Father in heaven. Whether or not you believe it, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are showing a picture of who God is by the way you live your life. You're showing a picture of who God is by the way you treat your children and your spouse. You are showing a picture of how, who God is by, by the goodness you bring into this world, the goodness you treat people around you. They reflect the goodness of God. And then finally, good works don't make God love me more. This is always an area that in the American mindset we, we kind of struggle with because we like number one. <laughs> And we always wonder, where do we stand with God? And with everything in our lives, there's that beginner, intermediate, advanced. We want advanced, right? There's junior varsity and there's varsity. I want to play on God's varsity team. There's third and fourth, bronze and left out of the platform, and there's, sil- there's gold. We want gold with God. And so we live this life that I I can be better. I can earn my way up. I can be God's favored child. I can be the one he goes, now look at this beautiful cherub of a person. And he lifts us up as a trophy. And we become trophies for God. No, that's not how God works. It's true that God takes great pleasure in his children. That he, he smiles when we're reflecting his goodness. 
But it's not a tear. God just doesn't work with tears because there's never a moment, no matter how good you are, there's never a moment when God loves you more and there's never a moment, no matter how bad you are, when God loves you less. He loves us because we're his through Christ. And so uh, John writes this, and he says this. Look, if you are loved by God, then you ultimately need, need to love others. You show your love, the, the love that God has given you, you show that by how you treat others. He says in 1 John four twenty one, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we're called to reflect his love, and good works do that. They reveal our love for God. You may have never realized this before because you probably were using good works as a crutch in your relationship with God. But I had a bad week last week, so I'm going to be a really good kid this week, and I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to go to church. I mean, it's raining outside. A lot of people stayed in bed. I'm here. (laughs) We can play that game with God. A lot of people don't. I, I did this. And so we always are comparing. And God says, relax. It's been done in Christ. So live. And reflect. That's a good thing in your life. Reflect the goodness of God. And by the way, treat others, love others the way I have loved you. No strings attached, no performance-based. It's all because of grace. But that's really liberating to me. I don't know what it does to you, but it really liberates me. Because I can stop performing with God and I can be his child. And when I mess up, I don't feel like I've, I've just gone down another level. I, I just come back to Jesus. And that's why we're here. We're not here, folks, because we live this incredible life this week that God ought to be impressed. And, and I might add, you all look marvelous today. You all know how to dress up pretty well. You can make yourselves look really presentable, but God knows the heart. He does. And the heart will show you we need the gospel every day. We need the love of God every day. It's the work of Christ that we need every day working for us and working through us. So then how? How do we bring the goodness of God through our lives into others' lives? Well, Paul starts writing, and this is where we get right into the text in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Take a look at this. Number one, we are called to submit to authority. We go, what does that have to do with the goodness of God? Well, I'll explain, okay? Look at this. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Here, Paul is writing it. And you think about the world that he lived in. I know that you can look at the United States, and we're kind of just split right along the center. There's this group that loves this political party and this group that loves that party. And then those in between who don't like any political party, they just like to disagree with everyone and forge their new path, which it may be a better path. I don't know, but we, it's so easy to choose a side. And we'd go, I, as long as that my people I voted for get in, I'll submit to them. But everyone else, forget that. Who in the world? But if you realize that 95% of the world's population right now, as I speak, is outside of the United States, 95%. And this is a gospel. This is the scriptures that aren't written just to the Americans who live in the 5% of the world's population. It's written to 100% of the world's population. And we don't know it all, and we don't live in the full reality of the world right now. 
In the world, if you look at all the governmental systems, all those who are governmental authorities, from law enforcement to judges to uh, political appointees or political candidates, there are many of them, and many in this world right now are abusing people, they're exploiting people, they're not being just in what they do. And if you read even further into this passage, you'll understand that Paul lived in a time where Caesar was supreme ruler. Caesar, literally, they were called to call him Lord. And one of the reasons Christians literally died for their faith is because they refused to call Caesar Lord. And because they refused to call him Lord, he had them he had them uh, persecuted, and they were fed to the lions. They were thrown into with the gladiators, and, and they were beaten up, and they were being arrested. Paul is writing this in Rome in between two of his imprisonments. The second one, he literally, they cut his head off outside of Rome. But this one is in between that. He's writing to Titus, telling everyone, remind them to submit to the rulers over you. In Romans, he writes, he writes that these leaders, uh, those who have been instituted by God, is, are God's servant for your good. My goodness. What is this saying? Is this saying that we should submit to our governmental leaders in everything? Well, I have to look at the whole counsel of the scriptures. And as I read, I see different places where different people who were God followers chose to uh, disobey the authorities that were over them. Case in point, the book of Exodus, where Pharaoh commanded all the Egyptian midwives to take all the Israelite children that were born after they were been delivered and throw them and drown them in the Nile. The midwives said, no, we will not do this. So they disobeyed the authority over them. Moving further, the book of Daniel. Daniel, uh, legislation was passed, Past, bow and pray to the golden calf, the golden idol that was made up by, by Darius. And he refused. He would only bow and pray to God. He was thrown into the lion's den. Three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown into the fiery furnace for the same civil disobedience. So we see different followers of God disobeying government authorities when they called them to go against or to go against life or to go against um, uh, their faith in God. We see Peter, when the chief priest told him, do not preach about Jesus anymore, saying, I must obey God rather than man. And so we see this, but in most cases and in most all circumstances, where they aren't calling you to renounce your faith or kill another person, we're to obey. So this means pay our taxes. I had one dude early in my time here who said, I just, um, you know, I, I feel God doesn't want me to pay my taxes anymore. I said, really? Where does he say that? Uh, it's somewhere in there. I go show you, because Jesus said, render under Caesar that which is Caesar, and God's the things that are God's. So we are to pay our taxes. Yeah, but. And so he stopped paying his taxes, and then he was arrested. And he took a swing at the guy who was arresting him, and got arrested, thrown into jail for that one. And so, folks, don't stop paying your taxes. 
okay? I don't want to show up with your wife or your husband, and you're, they're going to be in that orange jumper suit, you know, and I'm going to be seeing you on a screen, and she's going to be or he's going to be posting bail for you. Just, that's not wise. Then everyone goes, wow, that's a Christian? They don't pay their ta- I pay my taxes. They don't do that? Then the smaller thing about you becomes the greater thing about you. You want Jesus to be the big thing about you. Pay your taxes. Obey the speed limit. Don't turn left at 10th and Wanamaker, okay? <laughs> oh, man, it gets me every time. And I just, every time I'm there, and I know you're going to line up there, and you're going to be really ticked, after, especially keeping you from, from all the wonderful places that are on the left side of the road there. And every time. And then when the guy in front of me turns left, oh, man, God, get him. Amen. We can be so wrapped up in justice. I obey the law. Okay? But the larger thing about it is what Peter says. I love Peter's balance here. In 1 Peter 2.20, he says, What credit is it if when when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure? Well, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In other words, suffer for Christ. There's enough people who hate the gospel. There's enough people who hate religion and hate people who believe in God. There's enough people out there. Make the main thing the main thing. You're going to disagree about a ton of things, but make the main thing the main thing. Make Jesus the one you're willing to suffer for. And don't don't just go off and let your disobedience be a difficult person to get along with. Let the goodness of God, by submitting to authority... You will, there will always be an authority in your life who you will not appreciate. And that's why we have to realize when I submit to even the not so great authorities in my life, I'm submitting to Christ first. I'm going to make him the greater thing in my life. Second thing that he calls us to is to speak with honor. Keep reading there in verse two. He says this, to speak evil of, and underline this if you've got your Bibles open, no one and to avoid quarreling. So just think about speaking evil of anyone, and when it's anyone that you're speaking evil about, what's usually the cause for that? Sometimes it can be a disagreement, sometimes a conflict in, in the way they see things or do things, some kind, it's a, the way in, in believing, or even an act done against you, or an opportunity that you've been over, overlooked for, or a promotion that they unjustly received when you were bypassed from one. It's so easy to speak evil when they have hurt you. And here it says, speak evil of no one. Wow. Why? Because God is good. And your speech matters. Our speech should reflect the speech of God in the scriptures, which even though it corrects us, it does that in love, and it guides us, and it directs us in life. And our words matter. That's why if I just told you, what were some of the words that you remember in your lifetime? Many of you would go back to your childhood and what a parent said to you or what someone called you when you were in adolescence and you never got over it. You're still trying to get over that lie of being picked on or bullied or called something that you believed in because words matter. That's why it's so important as a Christ follower to speak the gracious words of Jesus through our lives. 
that we not just are easily ticked off, that we don't join in the public debate all the time of just different sound bites with different groups, one the villain, one the victim, and it's always one or the other, and you're on one of those sides. We've got to be careful we don't join in those sound bites, but we're people who learn how to speak with kindness, with gentleness, and we share the goodness of Christ through that. So, Guys, listen, with the 7,000 words we speak a day, let us build up and not tear down. Let us, let us come and even in our correction, show commitment and love and grace. Women, with the 21,000 words you use a day, May they be words that build up and not tear down. May they be words that bring life to our children, life to our spouses, life and not gossip and not tearing down. I can just think about the attitude I bring into my day. And if I am not in a good attitude, it will affect my speech. And I think of the, just look around this room, and I think in just a few minutes, if I get done preaching, okay, (laughs) and I will, eventually, right? Um, But think about it. God is going to scatter you all around here. And what I love about it is when we say, go, you're now sent into the world. Guess the first thing you start doing? You start talking because we're speakers. And I think about all the places you're going going to go, all the people God is going to bring across your paths, all the words that have yet to be spoken for this week. And I think about how can our words reflect the goodness of of God. How will this world know about the goodness of God if we don't tell them? And it affects our speech. Think about all those places and all those words with all those people. We can bring about the goodness of God when we speak with honor. And then the third thing we can do to lead the goodness of God is, is to respect everyone. Look what it says here. It says, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Gentleness and perfect courtesy. This is what respect is. Gentleness is to restrain your power or even your right so that you can be kind and merciful. Courtesy is that you give dignity to people. People have a value with you. And you know what? In our world, we tend to respect only the people who've arrived at our level of respect, and we can define that. And it's usually based on our college or whatever education level we come to. It comes to usually how much we've achieved in our lives, and everyone who does that, I will respect anyone at my level or higher, because we admire that. But literally, a follower of Jesus has has the floor dropped on that whole thing? We, we need to open and show a picture of who we'll respect. We need to give people a new value, the one that's given them by God, who loved them and created them in his own image. And as image bearers of a good God, we need to respect people. It's so easy in the name of Jesus to just start disrespecting and railing on people, calling them names and, and just being bad when we have the good. We're called to respect everyone. How will they know they have value with God if we treat them like garbage? You know what I hear the unbelieving world saying about Christians? They're jerks. 
They're hypocrites. Did you hear what that person just said? And at the same breath, they said that they're a follower of Jesus. Do you see the disrespect and the stereotype they've just made that group of people feel like because of their harsh words and their disrespect? We can call it brash. We can call it courageous. We can call it someone who's bold. But if we sacrifice respect, we're not bringing in the goodness of God. We need a new way. Man, I believe this with all my heart, especially in our American culture. We need a new way of respect. And we who have been loved, we who now have the goodness of God, we need to steward that in how we respect and care for other people. And then let's continue to move on because here he's going to develop this. And what he's ultimately doing is he's showing how he related the, gospel, the, the contrast of the gospel. Look with me in verse 3. He said, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hated, uh, hating one another. Those are strong words, but what he's saying is before I met Christ, before Christ is in my life, this is how I once lived. You know, before we baptize people here, we always ask them, give us a picture of what your life was without glorifying that life. What was your life before you met Christ? And now share, us, share with us, what's your life after you've met Christ? Or what, who, what person do you want to be as you follow Christ? And we hear that contrast of the two. And there's going to be the temptation when things go wrong, when the floor drops out of your life, to revert back to who you once were. Those of you who are in recovery, there's that fear. There's that fear that I'm going to go back, that I'm going to rely on that chemical or that addiction, and that's going to define me as it has for so long. We don't want to go back anymore. Why? Because God is good, which means he's better than the old of what was in my life. And every day you live needs to give that picture of the contrast. But every day will be a temptation. Old person or new person in Christ. The old fallen, broken, or the new creation that God is doing and working everything for the good of those who loved him, love him and are called according to his purpose. We've got to relate that contrast. And then finally, we're shown or called to protect what is good. And this is where he talks about dealing with the person who sows dissension in the body of believers. And there is always, there are always people who sow dissension, no matter <laughs> no matter what size your church was. I was here when Fellowship Bible Church was 100 people, and I'm here on whatever size it is now. And there's always some who are trying to sow dissension, are questioning, are criticizing. How do we deal with that? Well, as Paul calls Titus to do that, he asks them to warn them once, warn them twice. But the third time, the great theologian Lionel Richie said, Three times a lady. <laughs> no, he said, but he shows us that three times, it's time to, time to correct them and to say, no, have nothing to do with them. Now, you may think that church discipline on a church our size is a major challenge, and it is. But one of the first lines of church discipline is to discipline our lives around the word of God. And so just by preaching the word of God right now, this is church discipline in a good way. It's saying this is who God calls us to be, don't 
divide, unite the body. And if you have an issue with that and you cannot live under the leadership that's here, then, and you're hardened in that and you don't ever want to restore, then it's time to be confronted. And we have done that from time to time. But it's our last resort and it's ultimately, ultimately the way to deal with a hardened heart. Because God is committed to unity in his church. We're his family. Just as you are in your home. Kids, stop bickering. God has a heart for us to love and to live with one another in peace. And so Paul tells Timothy, correct him once and twice. So there's that pattern. That's there's the relationship. But the third time, separate. And then he also moves along and says how we're to protect what is good in the church with the believers and helping those who are doing good. And the latter part of the book of Titus is all those people who are doing good and advancing the gospel. And Paul's saying to Titus, if they pass your way, help them out. Give them finances, give them, give them help, aid them on their way, speed them on their way to me. They're of great help to me. And then he ends with blessing what is good. And he says, the grace of God be upon you all. He started the book with grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, and he ends it with grace because we need the grace of God to teach us how to treat one another, and we need to protect what is good. What is good in our lives, in our church, in our homes, and in the world. We're his people. We're his children. We have a good father, and God is good all the time. And we're to be children who reflect all the time with everyone the goodness of God. I want to call you into two movements that are uh, focused on not only experiencing the goodness of God in your life, but also are bringing the good news and the goodness of God out into our community. The first one has to do with Rooted. And maybe you've heard of Rooted, but it's a a, uh, 10-week pathway to discipleship here at fellowship and it's going to help you with three connections the first connection is your connection with god we hear it a lot from people who are visiting that they go i believe in god but that's about it that's about all i know right now i really need to know more about who god is rooted is that place for you to get connected in a relationship with god others of you would say what's this church all about Guess what? Rooted, the second purpose is to connect you to a body of believers, people who love you and care for you and want to follow Jesus together. Not perfect people, but people following a perfect God. And then it also connects you with your purpose because we believe that God has wired and formed everyone for his purposes. And it moves you not just to understand who you are, but then moves you to serve God and bring the goodness of God to others. This starts September 9th. And here's what you'd need to do. Just go online and sign up or even sign up on our upper atrium on your way out and we can prepare for you. I've gone through Rooted. I've known Jesus since I was really young and I got a load out of this. I really loved it. I know that you'll get something out of it. So if you've never been connected to a small group here, go through Rooted. And if you are in a small group or you're continuing from a small group out of Rooted, we're going to be launching this on September 9th. It's called Available. And this is going to look at what could happen if your life was in God's hands. Because we have a good God who's working good things in his people. And so this whole picture is a 10-week series on what could happen with 10 key areas of our lives 
if God, if God were controlling it, if God, if we gave it to God, what does that look like? That's a scary thought. A lot of us uh, might even question what God would do with it or be worried about it. But we're going to explore how other people have done this in the scriptures and how we can trust God and put our life in God's hands. I hope you'll join us for that because I know the goodness of God will move through us and through our small groups and into this community. That's one of the things I've always tried to leverage as a leader here at Fellowship is that God has brought us together to talk about the same God and glory in the same Jesus and to take this Jesus out into our community. If we all just believe this and lived and brought about the goodness of God, guess what happens? We, we are at the size right now where we could start a major movement, a major spiritual awakening in this city. So we need you in, not watching God work, but engaged with what God is doing. I hope you join us on bringing the goodness of God to our city. As I pray, I just want you to think, as we've gone through this list of what Paul's calling us to bring about the goodness of God, is there any area in your life that you need God to take control over? Maybe it's your speech, that it might speak, you might speak with honor this week. Maybe it's submission to authority, whether it's governmental or your boss. Maybe you need to submit a little bit more to, to give more glory to God than taking more attention for yourself. Maybe it's respect. You only respect a few people who measure up to your levels. And maybe that floor needs to drop so you're willing to respect and give honor and significance to people around you. Maybe it's just that contrast. There's really no contrast that you're providing in your life. As we close, why don't you just confess one of those to the Lord and I'll pray for you. Do that now. Just bow your head in a moment of just reflection in your heart. God, what out of all these things, which is that one that I need you to lead me in this week? Just confess that to him. Heavenly Father, you know your children in this room. And you are a good father who's called us to be men and women who reflect your goodness on this earth. Father, we need you right now to guide us. And if we're struggling with submission to any authority, if we think our way is the best way, humble our hearts so that we would submit to you first and the authorities you've placed over us. Even before we understand it or it makes sense to us, help us to trust you in what you're doing through that so that Jesus can be the main thing in our lives. Lord, we commit every word we're going to say this week and we ask them to bring you glory, to make you greater, to step away from promoting ourselves. We even think about every word we will type or post and may they bring you honor. Heavenly Father, we need you to work in through us in how we respect and who we we respect. May that floor drop out to reflect the grace and kindness and mercy of God. Father, help us to live the contrast of the gospel and help us to protect what is good in us and around us and through us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.